This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord on a Sunday morning, isn't it? It's where we should. This is good. Well, if you need an outline for the message today and you didn't get one, the ushers will go ahead and uh, and give you one there. Just raise your hand and they'll help you follow along there. But uh, man, what an exciting time of year it is. You know, I, I, I love Christmas. I love Thanksgiving. I love the holidays. That's why I've, I filed a petition to legally change my name to Pastor Holidave. Now, so we're going to see if I don't know if that'll go through or not. We can vote on that later. But anyway, uh, praise God. Um, last Sunday night, we started a sermon series that we normally do on Sunday nights, but we're going to do one on Sunday morning today. And the title of the series is this True Grit. And you're like, well, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about this, that to be a born again Christian, to be somebody that God can use and do something through. We need Christians. We need people of God that have some grit. They've got some guts. They've got some backbone. They're willing to stand up and fight the good fight of faith when it's not easy. Because there's a lot of Christians that are like, oh, man, I'm with you all the way, Jesus. And then the devil comes and huffs and puffs and blows their house down and they go running. They go run into the hills like a coward. And that's not what God intended for us. He wants some people. He wants some Christians that will stand up and fight for what's right. That will stand up and fight the fight of faith and receive what Jesus has for him. And so we started this series. I was telling last week, I I went up to Big Bear in the early part of September to spend a few days in the cabin praying. And there's nothing better than that right there. But I was, uh, you know, I was spending some time with God and I opened up my Bible to the book of Mark one morning and supernaturally, really, I, I, I mean, I read the book of Mark and it seemed like a matter of minutes. I don't know exactly how long it was, but it wasn't speed reading. I mean, the whole book, God just gave me so much revelation and a short amount of time and I noticed all these really strong character traits of Jesus. Now we all appreciate that Jesus is merciful, soft, tender, loving. I mean he's 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 so full of compassion, but we often lose sight of the fact that Jesus is also really really tough. And he doesn't get pushed around by the devil. And he doesn't let, you know, circumstances. Jesus is a tough dude with some backbone and some guts and some grit. And he, he was, he was so tough. He is so tough. He went down to hell and did warfare with the devil for, you know what I mean? So we could get to heaven. Amen. And so Jesus, yes, I'm so glad that he's, he's soft and, and, and merciful and kind, but I'm even more grateful that Jesus is tough and willing to to fight for us and that he did. Amen. And so I noticed these 10 character traits that I just started taking notes on. And I'm like, man, Jesus, you weren't a, you weren't a weenie. You, you were a tough guy. You were manly. And then I felt kind of guilty for calling Jesus manly. So I was like, what is it that you had? And then there, it came to me. He had grit. He had what we call grit, where he was willing to stand up and do something. And so it's dawned on me that Christians need to have grit They need to have backbone. They need to have some fight in them to stand up and do the right thing. And so this morning, our message is kind of like a Thanksgiving feast. You're going to be like, well, well, why is that on the table today? Well, I'm going to put it on the table. I'm just going to put it out there. Don't ask questions. Just partake and, you know, be happy that the holidays are here. Amen. And so let's go ahead and open in prayer. And then we're going to look at three things, three gritty characteristics of Jesus that you need in your life. Let's pray. 
Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, so much that we have a church to come together and worship in. Lord, that, that we're together as a family. We're surrounded by our brothers and sisters today. We're going to have a great meal in a little bit, Lord. But first of all, we're going to receive the word of God and receive spiritual food. In the name of Jesus, help us to pay attention and learn everything we need to today. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. So let's look at these three character traits of Jesus that you need in your life. I need them in my life and I believe that I'm getting them. The first one is this. Number one, righteous anger. Righteous anger. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound very godly. Well, give me a minute. We're going to explain this. We're talking about righteous anger, not you getting mad and blowing up at your brother because, you know, he stole your video game. I'm talking about I'm talking about righteous anger. So let's look here this morning at Mark chapter three. Mark chapter three. Amen. Now, most of what we're looking at is going to be in the book of Mark. And it's interesting. I pointed this out last week that that Jesus has all these. Mark wrote all these stories in here. He included them in his gospel um, about Jesus that that kind of show the tough side of Jesus, because Mark himself was not known as being, you know, a manly man. He was not known as the Mr. T of, you know, 33 A.D. He was uh, I mean, he kind of he bailed uh, a couple times when he shouldn't have. Uh, He went on a missionary trip with Paul and and Barnabas and he quit shortly into the trip. And so anyway, Mark wasn't exactly the toughest guy. But in the end, Mark, he got a hold of it. He got a hold of what it means to have some guts and some grit. And they and, and he died a martyr's death. They drug him through the streets by a rope and he died. But he never gave up on Jesus. He never renounced Jesus. And he, he stuck with it to the end. So Mark ended up being a very manly man. He had some had some guts about him. But let me show you this story here. In Mark chapter three, we're going to look here at verses one through six. Check this out. It says Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. So this was a setup, man. These guys, they were looking for any little thing they could do to start a fight with Jesus. They were just looking for anything at all. And so look at this verse, uh, verse three. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily. What? Jesus got angry? Jesus got ticked off. Look at this. And he was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored right there. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how they could kill Jesus. So these people, they were looking for anything they could to try to trip Jesus up and try to find some way to accuse him of something. And I mean, isn't that just like some people? You could be out there doing good deeds. You could be out feeding the homeless and they'll find... Oh, really? That's generic bread. They're serving those guys. I can't believe them. I, oh, my gosh. I mean, they'll find some way to try to mess you up. And so Jesus is here. This man, his, his hand is deformed. He's been suffering. And they're like, OK, here's our chance. If he if he does something, that means he's working on the Sabbath. And that means he's breaking one of the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus notice that it says he looked around at them angrily. I would not want Jesus to look at me angrily. I have no idea what the, I never even like had Jesus look at me necessarily, but I especially don't want Jesus to stare at me in an angry manner. That had to be really intimidating. And then he says to them, "Okay, 
I, I, can, I can just hear his voice right now as he's looking at these people and, and he's staring at them. And he says, is the Sabbath the day to destroy lives or save them? And, and, and they got Jesus ticked off. Well, if Jesus could get angry, then that means that there is possibly a way to be angry and it not be a sin. Now, oftentimes, you and if you've been around here long, you have heard me preach against anger because... I do not like sinful anger. I absolutely abhor what anger uncontrolled can do that tears families apart. It, it scars children. The worst thing is, is some adult that can't control their temper and they ruin a kid's life. I mean, that probably, that probably makes me more angry than anything in this world. But at the same time, anger is an emotion and God gave us our emotions, right? I mean, there is a time to be happy. There is a time to be sad. There is a time to be angry. There's a time to cry. There's a time for everything. But the problem is when people let their emotions control them, then they're out of control and they do crazy things. You know, if someone is controlled by anger, I mean, they'll do all sorts of nutty things. And then you're like, man, what happened to them? Well, they're controlled and dominated by their emotions. They're very emotionally unstable. But we know this much. Jesus was not unstable. He was not an emotional basket case. He was angry for the right time and for the right cause. And so I want to point out the difference here between sinful anger and righteous anger, because righteous anger is a good thing. Sinful anger is when your temper controls you and you lash out in sin. You drive through Burger King and you specifically ask for cheese on your Whopper. You paid the 30 extra cents and they didn't put it on there. Man, I mean, is that going to ruin your day? Listen, and I know some people like that. I mean, they'd, drive, they'd storm into the store. Oh, I'm ready to get mine. And I'm like, dude, it's cheese. Calm down. But there, are, you know people like that. Don't, seriously, that anger controls them so much that that could potentially ruin their entire week if somebody messed up their food on Monday. That's sad. That's not righteous anger. That's sinful anger. That That's messed up if something can mess up your week that bad and it's something as, as minuscule as that. And it sounds funny and it sounds like a joke, but I've seen things like this happen in my day and age. And so sometimes people are controlled by anger and they lash out in sinful ways. Someone cuts them off in traffic. They hold up the tall fingers. I've seen it happen. You know, somebody says something they don't like. Somebody disagrees with their politics or their sports team. And so they're ready to punch them in the face. And I'm like, are you serious? And you're going to go to church on Sunday and eat turkey with the rest of us, but you're going to get mad at us. No, that is wrong. That is sinful anger. Now, there is righteous anger, though, and righteous anger is when you're upset over a wrong or injustice, you're angry for a righteous cause. You can be angry for a righteous cause and it'll do you a whole lot of good. But you don't retaliate in anger by Beating somebody or cursing at them, that then makes it, you know, Jesus, he got he got angry several spots in the Bible, but he never cursed at people. He never went around hitting people and all this stuff. And I'll ask for repentance later. No, he didn't do that. That's not right. But Jesus, what he did when he was angry, he used it in a productive manner and he didn't retaliate against people. He made the devil pay for it. Notice in this instance, these people, they're making Jesus angry. So what do you do? He wouldn't heal this guy. He always, every time, he would go and destroy some works of the devil whenever somebody made him mad. And I'm like, 
man, wouldn't that be great if every time somebody made us mad, we're like, I'm going to go feed 10 homeless people right now. Watch it. You just made me mad. You know, I'm going I'm to go pray for the sick. I'm going to go to the nursing home. I'm going to go feed, you know, whatever it is. Wouldn't that be great if that's how we used our anger to go do something holy with it whenever somebody made us mad? And you're like, well, I don't, that doesn't sound like a very good. Listen, we're talking about Jesus had some true grit. Jesus in this world, because listen, when you get mad and, and you just go and take it out on people and you blow up and stuff, you're giving in to the devil and the devil is the one that's, you're, you're, all you're doing is helping him out right there. You think you're helping God out when you go hit somebody and that's making Jesus happy? No! Listen, Jesus retaliated against the works of the devil when somebody made him mad. He didn't join up on the devil's team and start doing evil things. And so, I'm trying to tell you this morning that it's okay to be angry but you be angry for the right cause and you use your anger in the right way. That's what Jesus did. Let me show you Ephesians chapter four. We're going to come back to Mark, but let's look at Ephesians chapter four, verses 26 and 27. Robert bought these new water bottles. I have a flip top and every time I open it, it sprays me in the face. All right. So sorry. Where's Hey, don't do that again. <laughs> Get this. Thank you. This is righteous anger right now. I'm ticked. <laughs> All right. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. And this is the Apostle Paul writing. Look what he says. Be angry. Go ahead and do it. But do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Notice that right here it specifically says, be angry. Just don't sin when you do it. So it is not a sin in and of itself to get angry, but it's a sin, as it says here, to let anger control you because you're giving place to the devil. And if you're getting angry just for stupid reasons, then, yeah, that is a sin. I mean, you don't need to get mad about, again, your whopper or your sports team loss. So you go ahead and punch somebody. No, that is wrong. That is sin. But it's not wrong when you see a family being torn apart and it makes you mad at the devil. So you go out and help him. It's not wrong when you see somebody sick and in pain and you're like, oh, devil, you're going to get it this time. And you go do something about it. That's righteous anger to do something for the right cause. And I like what the New Living Translation says in verse 27. It says, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, I already know that the devil's coming against me in this life. He is my enemy. I'm, you know, I, I know that. I'm not afraid. But we do know. That it tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we have a real enemy we're fighting. The enemy's the devil. Every time that I let anger control me, I'm letting the, the devil, it says, get me in a foothold in an ankle lock. And I'm like, man, why can't I get anywhere in life? I feel like I'm stuck in the same place. Well, I'm, I'm in a foothold, man. The devil's got me in a leg lock and I'm not getting anywhere. But it's basically my own fault for letting anger control me. I'm playing right into his own hand and he's loving every second of it. I see so many great people, their heart's good, they love the Lord, but they're not getting anywhere in life and they're looking at who to blame. Well, I blame the preacher, I blame the teacher, I blame my kids, I blame my wife. They're blaming everybody, but really their foot's locked up and it's the devil doing it because he controls their lives through this vicious, nasty emotion called anger. And that is not God's will for your life. I'm not going to give the devil any advantages in this fight. I want every advantage that I I can get. And so God gave us 
our emotions, but we're supposed to be in control of them, not let them control us. And so I want to say this. Anger can be a productive emotion when used correctly. Jesus would use anger in a very productive manner. Anger can be a productive emotion when used properly. And I think that it's a great time to talk about something like this right before the holidays start. Does anybody have family coming into town? I got some. Look out. Yeah. So I'm just <laughs> I love him. But, you know, I'm just saying, listen, there's no the, the devil loves to use the, the, the what should be the most wonderful time of the year. We should be wearing ugly sweaters, drinking hot chocolate, singing Christmas carols. And the devil wants you to fight with your brother, your sister, your cousin, your uncle. It shouldn't be that way. This should be the most peaceful, joyous time of the year. And so let's talk about anger for a minute. This should be the time that we determine this year is going to be the Christmas season that we get along better than we've ever got along before. There will be no fighting in our house. There will be none of this stuff. And you're thinking, well, it's probably easy for Jesus to say he didn't have annoying brothers. Yes, he did. Yeah. Jesus had younger brothers. If you can do the math there, obviously they were younger because he had to be the firstborn because he was born of the Virgin Mary. But anyway, so Jesus had younger brothers and sisters. And listen, you read through especially the book of John. They were mean to him. His brothers were mean to him. They're like, Jesus, go on. There's a big festival in town this weekend. Why don't you go out there and do some miracles so everyone can see you, Jesus, if, if you really can do that stuff, if you really are who you say. And his own brothers trash talked him and talked smack. And it says why? Because they didn't believe that he was really the Messiah. His own brothers. And so Jesus himself came from a dysfunctional family. Yeah, they put the fun in dysfunctional. They were crazy. But Jesus, he didn't let that get to him. He still went ahead and loved them and his stuff anyway. So I'm just telling you, determine right now this is going to be the best holiday season you've ever had, ever. You're going to get along with your cousins and uncles and aunts and grandpa and grandma, everybody. You're just going to have a grand old time this year, and you're not going to let the devil steal this from you. And so, I'm, you know, we read about Paul there. Guys like Jesus... And Paul, I like to put it this way. They didn't use anger to hurt people. They used anger to help people. Make me mad? Fine. I'll just go out there and preach even more. I'll go out and give even more money away. I'll go out and do that. And they used anger to help people instead of hurt people. And I I was thinking about it. You know, I always try to fit in a story about the pilgrims this time of year because, hey, it's Thanksgiving and I'm thankful for the pilgrims. My 10th great grandpa came over on that boat. I forget his name right now, but it was something cook anyway. And so my 10th great grandpa came over on that boat. But the, the, the pilgrims, they used anger, I believe. And, you know, you could debate me on this, but I believe they used righteous anger to help build this country. They got there's this control freak over there. King James telling them how they had to live their lives, how they could worship God, how they could pray, how they could read the Bible. They're like, man, we want to read the Bible for ourselves. We want to be able to pray and go to church where we want to go to church, not where the king tells us to go to church. And so anyway, you can study history for yourself. But they're like, that's it. We're out of here. And so to make a long story short. They decided to come and found a new colony in, you know, uh, so they could have a place where they could worship God and people could be free to worship God however they wanted to. And the very first official document that the United States has is something that we call the Mayflower Compact. It's a little document that they made on the boat before they got here. But here is specifically what it says. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's in Old English and I can't understand most of that. But anyway, so but they did say this. That they were going to build a new country for the glory of God and advancements of the Christian faith. 
So they came here to build a country for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. And they got here and they made it happen. And, you know, you can study history from there. But check it out. This place was built on righteous anger because they were like, nobody should tell you how you have to pray. Nobody should tell you how you have to go to church. Nobody should tell you where you should be able to. You know, you read the Bible for yourself. You should be able to read the Bible for yourself and search God's word and get the answers you need, not have to have somebody else tell you about it. And that's how it is in our day and age. You you're you're blessed. You have a Bible, don't you? You got a Bible app. Do you realize how fortunate you are that there's people in this world that would that they would give their lives to have a Bible in their language? I mean, I know different communist countries and stuff. People will translate one page of the Bible and pass it on. And so if somebody even has one page of the Bible, they'll sleep with it at night and hug it. And, and I mean, it's so precious. And we have all the answers. We've got all 66 books right here. And yet so many of us don't take advantage of that. And we're like, well, I wonder what I should do right now. Well, the answers are right here, man. God gave you an instruction book for life. Isn't that cool? Every answer you need is right here. So let's be thankful for what people before us endured so we can have what we have today. Amen. Let's, let's give a big amen on that one. So Jesus, he's got these characteristics that I'm calling true grip. The second one is this. Jesus had some spunk. Yeah, Jesus had what I like. He had some spunk, man. Jesus, at the right time and in the appropriate manner, Jesus could have, you know, a little bit of an attitude, but it was never sinful. It was always in a good way. So let's flip back to Mark chapter three. Let's look at Mark here. And I want to show you a story. Man, I love this. When Jesus could just kind of get sassy with somebody. Mark chapter 3. We're looking at verse 22. Amen. God is good. Jesus taught us how to behave. Mark chapter 3. Verses 22 through 26. Now check this out. This is so crazy, man. These people that are always trying to trap Jesus, they were nuts. Verse 22. It says, but the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said... Well, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Huh? They're like, yeah, the only way Jesus can cast out demons is because he's possessed by him himself. And so Jesus, look what Jesus says. All right. Jesus called them over. Can I talk to you guys? Come here for a minute. And responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? He asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. And so I can just hear it in his voice right now. Really? Satan's fighting himself now? He's the, I'm casting the devil out because I myself am possessed by the devil. You guys are geniuses. That makes a whole lot of sense. Because, yeah, when people fight themselves, yeah, that's... I mean, I can just see it right now. He had some spunk about him. And, and, and I'm, it's just crazy that people would say stupid stuff like this. People say stupid things. Have you ever noticed that yet? People say a lot of really stupid things. And, and you know, I, I like to look up quotes. And here's one. The patron saint of manliness, John Wayne. He said, life is hard. It's even harder when you're stupid. And I'm like, man... That's so profound. Life is hard, but it's even harder when you're stupid. And there's, you know, that 
And I, there's so many people, I just feel so sorry for them. Like, man, I, I know it's hard. We all, we all get our, it's tough for all of us, man. We're all in this together, but wow, that was really dumb. You're making it harder on yourselves. And, and you know, I hear these people, they come up to Jesus and like, well, we figured it out. He cast out devils because he is one. He's possessed by the devil. So that's how he gets, how he gets his power. And, and, and Jesus is like, oh my gosh, you're, are you serious right now? And he confronts them about this stuff. And sometimes it's, it's a good thing to confront somebody when they say something that's stupid. But Jesus confronts and he's like, no, that doesn't even make any sense. You're saying the devil is fighting against himself. And I just I love how Jesus was quick to respond to stuff, man. He always had the right answer. And he always I mean, always had the grit to say the right thing. I'm going to show you this other story real quick in chapter seven. We're still in Mark. Let's flip over to chapter seven because there is no shortage of scriptures on Jesus showing us what to do. Mark chapter 7, verses 5 through 8. I'm going to read this out of the Living Bible. So here's another one. So the religious leaders asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old customs? For they eat without first performing the washing ceremony. Jesus replied, You bunch of hypocrites. Isaiah the prophet described you very well when he said, These people speak very prettily about the Lord, but they have no love for him at all. Their worship is a farce, for they claim that God commands the people to obey their petty rules. How right Isaiah was, for you ignored God's specific orders and substitute your own traditions. You're simply rejecting God's laws and trampling them under your feet for the sake of tradition. Like, man, calm down, Jesus. Wow, he got ticked off right here. He's like, man, Isaiah was right about you guys. He saw you guys coming, you bunch of crazies. He said, listen, you're all hypocrites. You are a bunch of hypocrites. You talk pretty about God. You know all the right words to say, but you don't even love him at all. And I'm like, wow, Jesus, that's pretty, that's pretty gutsy right there. He's probably outnumbered. He's got all these people around him, and he's just saying it straight to their face. You don't even love God at all, do you? And I'm like, wow. That took some guts. Well, again, was Jesus just blown up because he had temper problems and he didn't get held as a child? No. Jesus had righteous anger and he had a little bit of spunk when it needed to be, be happening. And I wish that more Christians in our day and age would have righteous anger and they would have a little bit of spunk. They'd have a little backbone in them. I'm not talking about being mean and crossing the line, but I'm talking about when you see somebody speaking unjustly about God, you know the right words to say and you say it in the right manner. When you see somebody doing something wrong that you've got enough guts to speak up about it because you have been taught you live in. Do you all live in 2017? Show of hands. OK. All right. About. 40% of this crowd is in the current year. Some of you, I know you're in the 80s. I can see it by the way you dress, but that's cool. All right. No, I'm kidding, 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 kidding. Hey, I wear this every Thanksgiving for the last 10 years, and you'll see it next year this time too, right? I forgot what I was going to say. All right, so anyway. Um, okay, here, I remember now. So, listen, Jesus, he confronted wrong when he saw it, right? Do you see that? I'm not making this up. He confronted it. He's like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. In 2017, we have all been told and it's been drilled into our heads that somebody could be robbing a bank and you can't say anything at all or else you're judging them. Right. Somebody could be I mean, they could be slandering somebody. They could go online, bully them and and say all kinds of mean, terrible things. And the second that a Christian says, that's not very loving. Don't judge me. 
calm down, bro. Jeez. I mean, but that's the way it is. And listen, you believed a lie from the devil. If you really, truly believe that as a Christian, you have no, no right whatsoever to point out what's wrong in the world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. Listen, so many of us, we hide our light because, well, no, they're going to call me a judge or if I say that they should, they should quit beating their kids. They're going to say that I'm mean and mind my own business if I say this. If I, if I say anything, they're going to say I'm wrong and mean and a hater and a bigot. And listen, don't fall for that mess, man. That's a lie from the devil. If you see something wrong, say something. Don't, yeah, I guess what? They are going to get mad at you. Yeah, they're going to call you a judge or a hater, a bit intolerant, uneducated. Try to think of the list of the names that I am. I'm uneducated, intolerant. Anyway, you know, but all these things that, that, they, that they're going to call you. Listen, that's part of the problem right now. It's because Christians have all shut up. They won't say anything because they're afraid of what they're going to be called. Well, another one of the manliest men that I know, I, I've got a few quotes, is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I look up to this man and I, there's a few quotes of his that I wanted to share because this is a guy that had righteous anger and had a little bit of spunk and didn't care if it made people mad. But look at this. One thing uh, he said, nothing in all the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. Man, that's pretty good. That lines up with John Wayne. He said, nothing in this world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance. But I love this. And conscientious stupidity. Like That's, that's pretty deep. But that, that took a little bit of spunk to say. I like this one. This is on your hand out there. He said, we must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. Yeah, that's good, man. That's got, I like that. That's, that's a little righteous thing. That's a little bit of spunk right there. He said, we're going to have to learn to live together as brothers or we're going to perish together as fools. Like, amen. That's good stuff right there. But here, I, here's, the, here's the best one. I didn't put this on your own, but this is, this is a good one. He said, the hottest place in hell is reserved for those who remain neutral in times of great moral conflict. Woo! That took some guts. He said... And I don't really believe there's special places in hell. But anyway, he said the hottest place in hell is reserved for those who remain neutral in times of great moral conflict. Listen, that took some guts. And I, and I, I see the characteristics of Jesus right here where everyone else is saying, man, would you just shut up and leave it alone now? But no, somebody that has some true grit, somebody that's man enough woman enough to stand up when they see something wrong and actually say something. That's what Christians should be. We shouldn't be hiding. We shouldn't be afraid of everybody else. We should know that, listen, if God is for me, who can be against me? I ought to stand up and say something right now. There's children suffering. I mean, that takes me off when I see kids getting treated wrong. When I see, you know, I mean, kids getting neglected. I hate that. But yeah, we are so trying. No, don't say anything. Just don't. We don't want to stir the waters. We don't want to stir the pot. They're going to get mad at us. You know, you don't want to say anything. Listen, say something if you see something. How many, you know, how many lives could be saved in this country? How many people could be helped if Christians who actually know the difference between right and wrong would stand up and say something when they see something? But yeah, we've been told, no, don't do that. No, no, don't say anything at all. You just let it go. It's none of your business. Well, listen. Jesus made stuff his business when people said no. You think that man with a deformed hand was upset when Jesus said, come here, get up here in front of everybody. Do you think that guy was glad that Jesus made his problems his own problems? You know, Dr. Martin Luther King talking about him. Do you think other people were grateful when he made their problems his problems? Listen, 
I think that it's time for Christians to get a little grit, get some guts, quit being pansies, stand up when they see something wrong and say, that's wrong, man. Leave that guy alone. Let's do something about that. Let's feed these people. Let's pray for these people. Let's go visit the poor. Let's go do something right now. That's what Christians have always been called to do. We just quit doing it because we turned into sissies because the rest of the world told us, no, shut your mouth. You can't say anything at all. Don't be like that. Stand up. Because that's what Jesus did. And guess what? I'm glad he stood up for me. I'm glad he stands up for me because the Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan brings up stuff against me all the time and against you. I know what she did. I know. Oh, no, you should feel you ought to be ashamed of yourself right now. I know your past. He brings it up to you and you're sitting there. Oh, I know I should be ashamed. I don't, I don't even deserve to be in that church with all those people, those righteous. I'm not one of them. And you're playing right into the devil's hands but jesus stands up and says nope that's one of mine leave him alone that's one of mine right there he does belong there that is where i want him and guess what he's going to live with me forever so leave him alone jesus stands up for you why don't you stand up for him sometime you know don't be one of those people that's too afraid to pray for their lunch at work yeah say one of those Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Listen, you need to get some guts. If you're going to pray for your food, do it or don't, man. Use some words. Pray for your food and don't care who's looking. Pray out loud. Do it. You know, I talk about my dad all the time, but you go out to a restaurant with him. He doesn't pray quiet. He talks about as loud as I'm talking right now. In the name of Jesus, we bind every devil. We thank you, your word says in Exodus 23, verses 24 and 25, that if we serve you, you'll bless our bread, you'll bless our water, take sickness away from the midst of us. Furthermore, we'll have no abortions in this family or miscarriages. In the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs> and then if there's some real, you know, and, and then if there's like some real, you know, uh, strange people around, you know, that just don't seem to have the mark, you know, look like they're Christians. I thank you, Lord, that I'm going to heaven because I've received Jesus as my Savior. I don't know about everybody else in here, but I'm going to heaven, Lord. Yeah, man. Take some grit, man. That takes some guts right there. Take some people off. Some people need to be ticked off, though. All right. And so as Christians, let's get some grit. Let's stand up. Let's be a man. Let's be a woman and quit being sissies and, you know, actually do what Jesus did. Again, we need to be soft. We need to be lovable and, you know, cuddly and squishy and all that. That's good. But you need to be tough, too. Number three, and you're, this is the weird one. You're like, what is he talking about? Well, number three, Jesus was a master storyteller. Now, you may be thinking, well, how is it gritty and manly to be able to tell a story? Ladies, whether you realize it or not, it's extremely manly to be able to tell a story really, really good. Am I right, guys? Come on, you're a grandpa, you're a dad. There's nothing better than getting the kids around and like, oh, listen to this one time. And, you're, and you know, really what happened was you got a paper cut. By, by the end of the story, I mean, you know, you're bleeding. They sewed your arm back on and you single-handedly rescued a family from a burning building. You're like, and that's how I have this scar, kids. And they're like, Okay, you know, stuff like that. But that's very manly. Now, you don't want to, you don't want to stretch the truth, though. Jesus didn't stretch the truth. But he did what we call 
he told parables and there's all these parables, these stories in the four Gospels where Jesus would tell a story to get across the point that he was wanting to make. And there's something just extremely manly and gritty and strong about you. You can teach the next generation the truths that you've learned by being able to convey it through maybe telling a story or something like that. And so I'm going to show you something, though, about Jesus. Mark four, verse thirty four. Mark four, verse thirty four. And you've you got to be able to, I mean, we're talking about conveying truth to the next generation. And, and that's extremely gritty. You've got to be able to do this. We need, I mean, I thank God for the older guys in my life, my and the elder guys that, that'll, I mean, tell their stories of their experiences and times past. Like, I need to hear that stuff, man. I need to hear what you did when you were raising your kids, when you were, you know, when you were married, when you, when you were working. I need to hear your stories. That's, that you need to pass those on, guys, the good ones. I know I've heard some ones that I probably didn't want to hear, but. So Mark 4, verse 34, it says, in fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. Wow. But afterward, when he was alone with the disciples, he'd explain everything to him. So it says that Jesus in his public ministry never taught without using parables. That means every time that Jesus preached, he would he would use a story. He'd, he'd, he'd use a, an illustration, an example, a parable to convey the truth that he was trying to get across. And I think that's something that we need to figure out is how to convey truth to the world around us and to the next generation. Do you follow? Am I connecting the dots here? You're like, why is that on the table right now? Well, I'm going to put it out there because you have a responsibility to tell truth to those around you. And sometimes it's great to be able to tell a story or whatever it is. Maybe use a parable or maybe tell a true story from your life. But you have a responsibility to share the truth that you know. Luke chapter 14. All right. And this right here is one of Jesus' parables. And I think this is fitting for today because it's called the parable of the great feast. Luke chapter 14, this is the parable of the great feast. And you need to listen to this. This is Jesus giving an example. And I think it fits perfect for this time of year because we all have feast on our mind. We all know that, I mean, starting today and on Thursday and then hopefully again three weeks from there, you'll be feasting, you know, and that's that, there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be doing that. But check this out. This story that Jesus told about a man that was going to throw a great big banquet and have a great big feast. Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 15. This is one of his parables. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table of Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus replied with this story. He's like, oh, yes, that reminds me of a story. Look at this. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. One said, well, excuse me, but they all began making excuses. So you got an invitation and you said you're going to go. You said, count me in. But now you've got excuses. Okay, look at this. One said, well, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Sorry, please excuse me. Another said, well, now I have a wife, so I can't come. Listen, man. Come on, stand up to your wife. Seriously. Anyway, that didn't go over well. All right. Verse 21. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. 
After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. And so he's like, man, we got to just fill this dinner up. Anybody that could possibly get in. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Look at verse 24. Here's the sad part. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. So what's the moral of this story? Well, Jesus has prepared a great feast for us in heaven, right? Marriage supper of the Lamb. He's prepared a great feast for us in heaven. And for some strange reason, there are people that make up excuses and don't want to go. Can you? I don't, I don't get that. Why you have an invitation to heaven. Jesus said, I'm preparing a great big feast in my father's house or many mansions. I want you to be there. I've reserved a place for you at my table. And yeah, there's some people like, well... That all sounds good and whatnot, but I'm I'm busy right now, man. I've got this job. I, you know, I'm trying to make as much money as I possibly can. Um, I just got married. Got a new car. Got a new boat. Got my kids. Got a blah 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 blah. List. Everybody. They make up excuses, and I'm like, really? I mean, this is Jesus. He's inviting you straight up to his table to partake of the feast with him. And we're making excuses of why we just you know, can't make it this time. I'm sorry. And, and we're like, nobody does that. Yeah, they do. I see people do it every single day. We have golden opportunities to receive Jesus into our life. And so many people, they just don't do it. And I, I, I guarantee you there's people in this room right now. You've been invited to the feast with Jesus. There is a spot at the table in heaven with your name on it. And you're choosing to, to, to give up your invitation. And guess what Jesus said? He said, all right, fine. No one's going to make you. But guess what? I'm, I'll just get somebody else to fill that spot. Go out into the cities, go into the towns, go into the villages. Tell everybody you know that they're invited to my feast. Go to the highways and the byways. Go into the hedges. Go find anybody and tell them that I want them to come and be with me. And I'm not going to give up my spot. I'm sorry. I, I, I want to be at that feast. I want to be at the table that he's prepared in heaven, and I am not going to let go of that spot. And you're thinking, well, I just don't know. Well, throw this up on the screen. Revelation 3.20. This is Jesus talking in the book of Revelation. I want you to please get this. Please hear this. He said, look, I've been standing at the door, and I'm constantly knocking. If anyone hears me calling him and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him. And he with me, or he says, I will come in and dine with them. He says, I've been standing at your door and I've been constantly knocking. Some people in this building, in this room right now, you know it. I'm not, you know, let's just get real, please. Please, we're going to eat, but please let me get real with you. Let's just lay it all on the table right now. There are some people here and this is your day, man. This is the day for you to really give it up to Jesus and fully submit. But I want to tell you this. He's been right there the whole time standing at the door knocking. Hey, come on, let me in. Let me in. If you open up, I'll come in and I'll have supper with you. I'll dine with you. I'll come in and fellowship with you. We'll be friends. We'll, we'll, we'll be brothers. I want to hang out with you. He's been knocking at the door of your heart for so long. And you're here today and you're like, well, there's something to do. No, it's better than that. This could be the day that changes your life forever. And so, you know, I tried to make a brief today. I'm just looking at a few things that the Lord pointed out to me about how we need to have some righteous anger, have a little spunk, and, and how Jesus himself used stories to help change people's lives. But today is the day that your life could really genuinely be changed. Amen. And so I want us to go ahead and everybody stand up together.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.